What an incredible day yesterday. Got here bright and early. I'm still learning how to, how to trust God. We had a truck pull up at 8 o'clock yesterday morning with over 21, or right at 21 pallets split between food and milk. And we were geared to start at 9 o'clock. And I thought, well, they'll start showing up around 8 o'clock. They'll be here bright and early, you know, and the line will be ridiculous. 8.30, there's two cars in line. And I'm going, oh, no. We, you know, we've never done a Saturday before. You don't know how the response is going to be. You don't know what's going to happen. But, but at 8.30, there's not very many cars in the, row, in, the, in the lanes. And I'm like, oh, no. How am I going to get rid of 1,150 boxes of food? There's only so many places that I can take. You know, Grace Center only takes so much. Uh, the family shelter will only take so much. And I had to recenter myself and go, okay, we're going to be good. We're going to be fine. And the last one we did, and we helped Chris Rock, it took uh, right at five, five hours to go through 1,150 boxes of milk and 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 food. We started at nine. Never was overwhelming, which I'm kind of thankful for, but it was steady. By 1245, we were done, out, 100% gone. And it was, I mean, it was just fantastic. What's hilarious in even all that is, as we're working lines and you're bringing people up, and I walked up to this really nice Ford pickup, and I walked up to the window, I said, man, how much food do you want today? And she looked at me with this shocked look in her eyes. Her eyes were as big as half dollars. And I'm thinking, what did I say? What did I do? She goes, is this for food? And I thought she was joking. I'm like, well, yeah, we're here to give food away. She goes, I didn't know I was getting in line for food. I was just following my brother in the car in front of me. So when he pulled in, I pulled in. I'm like, well, you're here. Do you need food? She's like, well, no, but, but I do know some people. I said, how many people you know? I said, how about, how about we do 10 boxes? She's like, well, that's fine, but, but we live in Okmulgee. I said, you've got a canopy over your bed. You should be good. A woman that pulled in just following the crowd drove away with 10 boxes to take back to her city to give food away. God works out really cool things in ways that we don't always expect. There were people that came through and, you know, it was fascinating to watch people here step up and engage even in an act of prayer with people. There were those that you would say, hey, you know, we're giving food away, but another thing we really want to do is if we can pray with you for anything, we want to stand with you. And you had some that were like, no, I'm good, I'm okay, and they were gone. But you had some that would go, okay, I need it. It was awesome to watch people step up and work together, whether they were from this house or one of the other houses or wherever they were in the city to come and just stand together and pray. Again, there is an undercurrent that's happening in, in avenues and ways that I truly believe we've never experienced before. There is a desire for unity. If nothing else, the COVID pandemic that tried to separate churches, tried to separate even bodies of believers, when you start seeking the face of God, 
the gravitational pull of the Father is what? To draw all men unto himself. When he draws all men unto himself and he's the center, it's natural that different churches, different bodies are all drawn to the same point. Because scripture said he's not a respecter of people, of persons. So what he's done for one, he'll do for another. And so standing together in a parking lot and, and, and getting to just love on our city, serve our city. Um, I haven't seen it yet. If you've already seen it on the news, I apologize greatly. Um, they did an interview, and I'm guessing it was KXII. I don't know. I don't even know who the station was. They pulled up in an unmarked car and, and said, hey, we're here. We're going to take some screenshots. I want to take some shots, and we want to interview. Okay. Um, I have no idea, I haven't seen it yet, how they edited it out, um, but I'm here to say now, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I mean, he was asking me why we were doing what we're doing, and I pretty much told him how we were doing, what we, why we were doing it. I said, we're here as, as multiple churches wanting to show unity, that, that Jesus is, is all in the unity, and we're wanting to unify our community, and it doesn't matter how much the media throws us under the bus. And very quickly, I tried to throw in national media. You know, it's the, it's the national media. It's not necessarily you, sir, that's standing in front of me. Um, so if I ever get to see that interview, we'll find out how that one looked. Um, but, you know. <laughs> so it, it was one of those where, yeah. And he asked me when we started doing this, have you ever, have you ever done this before? I said, well, I've done it several times. I've, I've, um, I've done radio and stuff like that. I said, you know, it's, it's that face made for radio, not for TV type scenario. And he didn't laugh real well. He was kind of, I think he got called to the assignment and didn't really want to be there. Give me just one second here. But it, it's, it's one of those things where it was, it was very, very incredible to just be a part to watch the camaraderie in the parking lot, to watch people step up and step out that you've watched and you're not sure really what their personality type is and then you see them start acting stupid or acting silly or, or doing stuff and you go, okay, that works, we're good. Now I know how to act, now I know how to be because you're just as goofy and as silly as I am, so we're, we're good. But this morning, I really want to talk to you about something we've been coming out of, which was out of the book of Daniel. We talked about Sunday and out of the book of Daniel on Wednesday night. And we actually ended up talking Wednesday night about the four-letter curse word that the church hates, this four-letter curse word. It, start, it starts with the first letter F. It ends with the last letter T, fast. We hate as a, as a generation, as a people, a believers of the body of Jesus. We hate that word. Most of us, day in and day out, we can sit here today and say, well, I, I don't really hate it. I, I, I don't hate it. I, I, but do we honestly put it into practice? There's something more to fasting than just simply saying, you know what? I'm not going to eat a cheeseburger today and I'm cutting out Dr. Pepper. There's a difference in fasting even in the perspective of it's cutting out what we need, not what we want. 
Fasting, it's good to say, you know what, I'm going to cut the TV off today. I'm not going to pay attention to the TV. I'm even going to cut out the Dr. Pepper. I'm going to say no to all this stuff. And that's all good and well. But what is God really asking when he starts talking about fasting? He's asking you to, to, when you start looking at it, you look at Daniel, you look at what Daniel fasted in perspective, you look what Jesus did in the 40 days in the wilderness where he neither ate nor drank. He's asking you to take, to, to take a season and say, you know what, what my body tells me I need is not what the Spirit is telling me I need in this moment. I need Jesus. I need a realization that Jesus is for me, that Jesus is not against me. And it's a real thing. And when the, as a church, if we can begin to practice those disciplines, those disciplines of fasting, those disciplines are, uh, of setting ourselves apart, of setting ourselves aside and saying, you know what, God, you're worthy of this moment. Then something begins to happen in our prayer life. Our prayer life begins to change. We stop praying these simple, basic prayers because all of a sudden we're telling ourselves, our body, our mind, basically, to shut up, to be quiet. And all of a sudden that radio frequency between us and the Father, that conversation that Jesus is always there and that Jesus is always talking, but we don't listen. When we begin to step into something and say, you know what, I'm going to fast in this season. It clears up that airway. And all of a sudden, you begin to hear clearly what God's been saying to you all the time. But it's a process. I would be very bad right now to come out and say, you know what? As a church, the Lord has said that everybody in here should take a 21-day fast. Some of you could make it. But a lot of us, we would be set up for failure because we're not, we're not geared in that direction. We've not, we've not taken steps to prepare ourselves with that. We'll make it through today and we would say, yep, I'll start Monday morning and I'm fasting and we're good to go. Monday morning comes and you go, you know what, I'm a little hungry. Tuesday afternoon comes about 2.30 in the afternoon. Everything in your body begins to scream. And you think you're about to die. Because I've got to have peanuts. I've got to have something. Because my body can't take it. But that's why we learn it as a discipline. It's a process. It's a conditioning of ourselves to step into what Jesus has called us to step into. That's somewhere where we're going. That's where I want you to jump on board as we go through this of learning what it means to die to ourself. What it means to step into something that makes us uncomfortable. We're not asking in a fast. This is not a hunger strike where we're saying, I demand this and until you give it to me, God, I'm not eating again. You go into a fast with that kind of mindset. You're probably going to either fail at the fast or you're going to actually go ahead and just croak over and die. Because in a fast, we're not coming in to demand something from God. In a fast, we're going in to say, you know what, God? You're bigger than a cheese pizza. You're even bigger than a healthy chicken, grilled chicken and salad. You're bigger than this. 
It's bigger than that to step into a fast. But I'm telling you, God's calling us as a body of believers. Do you want to see the miraculous happen? Do you want to see your babies come back? Do you want to see your children turn from the ways that they're going and remember the things of God? It takes us as adults, as mom and dad, as grandma and grandpa, as aunt and uncle, stepping into alignment with him, even so that we can hear clearly how God's telling us to pray. Why do some of our prayers seem like they avail nothing? Why do we feel like we're praying and they just keep hitting the ceiling and then falling down and and nothing is around us changing? Maybe it's us. Maybe it's we're even praying the wrong way. Maybe we're, we're believing for the wrong thing. Or maybe we're believing for an end result. And it's real, but there's steps that have to be taken in the meantime to get to that point. That we need to line up. And we need to, but we've got to hear clearly what God is saying. Because I'm telling you, God is a God of the impossible. We've heard it. We've heard it till we're blue in the face. But yet when it comes time to pray for somebody, to stand in agreement, to stand in alignment, to believe for somebody's salvation, to believe for somebody's chains to fall, to believe for the healing their body needs, all of a sudden, we can't believe it. We know it's true. We know it's real. Let's go to Matthew 8, 23. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're perishing. But he finally said to them, why are you fearful? Were you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the waves of the sea obey him? Do you have a storm in your life? Do you have something going on in your life today that you're struggling to believe for the impossible? Because up until that time, it was the impossible to believe that a man could say to the atmosphere around him, stop, be still, be quiet. I mean, have you ever seen somebody walk out and look at a storm or look at a, at a tornado funnel cloud coming to the ground and just say, in the name of Jesus, stop? We say it. We, 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 we quote these things on, on Facebook that say, man, we're believing that the storm will just dissolve and go away. We say it with our mouth. But there was no doubt in Jesus. He was asleep during the storm. He was at peace in that moment. The only thing that woke Jesus up was the fear that was on the boat. The only thing that woke him up was the fear of the men on the boat that said, look at him. He's asleep. He obviously doesn't care about us. You know, that the murmuring and complaining that we do when we don't get God to answer the way we think he should? Well, he obviously doesn't really like me. I know so-and-so prayed or so-and-so did this. He would hear, but, but it's me. He's just not listening to me now. 
because of, of my past sin, my past mistakes, the past things that I've done. He obviously didn't really forgive me. But Jesus spoke to the storm. You would think in that moment, they would never doubt him again. You would think in that moment, he just told the winds and the waves to stop. And they obeyed. Man, from that point on, God, anything you say, I trust. Man, anything you do, you tell me to do it, I'm doing it. But there was, there was, there was a, an area in their lives that they knew it was Jesus, and they knew he said who he said he was here. But they didn't believe it here in their spirit, man. There was, an act, there was an action in their lives that kept saying, man, I don't even know. This is probably too big for him. This is probably too big for him. He probably even can't do this. Hebrews 11.1. 1. We've heard it. We've heard it. We've heard it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things we don't see. Substance. When I think of substance... I think of something that's real and tangible. I, I see a substance and you, you come and tell me that, that you spilled coffee or that you spilled water this morning on the floor. That's a substance. I can see it with my eyes. It's real. It's tangible. I can get down in it and I can, I can put my hand in the water and tell you what the temperature is. I can put my hand in the coffee and, and I can tell you how hot or cold it is. It's real. What, what is this telling me? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It didn't, it, it, it's telling me that it's real. There's a tangibleness to that faith. Somewhere in time, there was a tangibleness to this faith that through time, that it became something that we, we just stopped seeing. Well, what do you mean? There is an avenue that we as believers get into a problem and all of a sudden we go well if Brandon was praying for it it would happen but I'm not even going to ask because God doesn't respond to me maybe you've asked for healing maybe you've been standing in the gap for healing and nothing's changing nothing's happening Nothing's going on to the point that you finally stop praying because nothing changes. Unbelief has kicked in. Unbelief. I don't believe that he really wants to heal me. He's given me this sickness to test my faith. It's just a weight I have to bury, carry. It's just a weight I have, to, I have to go through. Now, are you saying that because God told you that? Or are you saying that because you didn't get the answer that you thought, and so now you just assume because, you know, Paul, the thorn in his flesh. Paul had to go through it. This is mine to carry. Are you basing that off a tangible word from God, or are you basing that on a level of unbelief because God didn't respond to you 
so you settle. For over 15 years, I don't tell this story very often. For over 15 years, probably getting closer to 20, I've battled arthritis. To a point in season in my life, in the very early stages of it, that I couldn't work. I couldn't hardly walk. I would get on the couch, and I would have to get somebody to grab me and help me get the momentum to get up. And it's something I've struggled with for a long time. To a point that even when, when I began to talk about it, it brings up an emotion not only in myself, but in my wife. I could very easily, oh God, this is my thorn in the flesh. Did God tell me that? No. Is it because I'm, I'm just giving up and I'm saying, well, I'm not seeing any change, so I'm just going to stop and go, okay, this is the cross I'm to bury. Have I seen full manifested healing in my life yet? No. But I'm here to stand on the stage and tell you, I don't base it. On God's lack of love for me. It's not his lack of love for me that he's saying, you know what? This is yours. Now carry it. Now, now keep going and doing my will. But you carry that to keep you humble. I call bull. God's will from the very beginning of time was it's his will to heal. Where's the problem? I'm telling you today, as somebody that's down in the fire, I'm not blaming God. Because it's not God. There is something on the inside of me. There is a lack of belief. There is unbelief on me that truly in reality, and I'm being as, as vulnerable as I've ever been. There is a lack of unbelief on the inside of me that's telling me, you're not worthy of this. I know what the scripture says. He tells me I'm worthy. But there's a mind struggle in the interior of my brain that tells me over and again, you're stuck with it. Just be satisfied that you're here. Well, crud. I'm getting tired of being satisfied. Of just the mundane. There's things in my heart and things in my life that I haven't seen fulfilled yet. And they're not my dreams. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, they're God's plans. Maybe you're in the same boat I'm in. You've prayed for something and nothing's changed. And your first tendency is to get upset. To get mad. To say, you know what, I guess it's really not true. God doesn't love me. I'm telling you, God has not changed. Scripture says he's no respecter of person. 
So you cannot come to me and tell me that the gifts of the Spirit died with the apostles. Peter said that Jesus is no respecter of person. If he's no respecter of person, it didn't just die with the apostles. It's alive and it's well today. His strength is sufficient for you today. What you're asking for is on the very end of you getting rid of this unbelief in your heart. How do you do it? For 15 years, I would have told you, I don't know. Because I'm down here in this fire. To the point that, that Pastor Robbie was, was campus pastor at the time. And they end up coming to my house. It was my kids, my wife, my parents, and Robbie and Susan. He said, we just want to come pray. I can't go back and say there was any moment that, that, that the, the a light switch went pink and everything was different. But there was a process that, that it, there, there's, a, there's, there's a process that my wife actually thought I was going to die. Because I couldn't get up. I had no energy. I was just there. I'd go to work and get on the floor behind my desk. And just lay there. I have no idea. But I know from that point. To where I'm at now. There's been a process that's happened. Now was it God's will for me to have to walk through the process? Guys. I'm blowing it back on me. Because there's an aspect in my earthly mindsetted person. That because of my past mistakes. The dumb things I've done. That I keep going, I'm not worthy of being completely healed of this. I'm not asking anybody to raise your hand. But have you been there? Have you experienced that? Have you gone in that moment and you said, you know what? I'm unworthy of this forgiveness. I'm unworthy of this, of this healing. I know what your word says. But I can't attain to that. There comes a process that you, as an individual, have to hear from God yourself. Because I'm telling you, He's speaking to you. And He's giving you specifics. He's not a God that's going to bring confusion. The confusion comes when we're trying to listen to this radio frequency, so to speak, from God. But we're letting everything else be of more importance. We've busied our lives out. We love to eat too much. We, we, we love to go do these things too much. And when we get home, we ain't got nothing left. If you are wanting to experience the real Jesus that brings life, that brings healing, that brings restoration, it comes from you Making a step of faith that takes you out of your comfort zone. And you begin to do things that to the earthly man seem unordinary. But God's called us to live an unordinary life. In representation of the Father. In representation of Jesus. We have to step out. It's amazing how quickly we move from confidence to crisis. When it comes to our faith.
I've been there. I'm full of faith. I know it's real. I know it can happen. But today I wake up and I go, but I don't know if it's for me. And I quench what God's wanting to do. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims. Why would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's go back to Egypt. Are you kidding me? They were slaves. They had gotten to a point that they forgot who brought them out. Who brought the locusts? Who split the sea? Who did all of these things to make a way for them to escape? That they got to a point in their life. That they said, we've forgotten what, what you did. You just brought us here so that we can become slaves. It was better that we were slaves in Egypt. How often do we get brought out of something to so quickly forget that if God brought us out of something, He's taking us somewhere that's more in touch with Him, that's more in alignment with Him. He's not going to bring you out of something to abandon you. There's something that happens. They forgot their first love. They forgot they, they forgot to go back and look at those stones of remembrance that said what God had brought them out of. They forgot that God had brought them out of something that was so much darker than they realized because we get up here and we go, well, maybe the addiction wasn't as bad as I thought it was. At least I, at least I could smile. We forget the torment of this moment. We forget the struggle that was this moment. We forget that, God, you brought me from this from where I couldn't even get off the couch to this point. You didn't bring me from there to here to leave me where I'm at. Whatever I need to do, I'm going to do it. I've never been so much determined. Much determined is not the proper English. I wasn't going to determine, but anyway, much determined. Determined. To experience God in my life. Amanda said it earlier. She had no idea where I was going this morning. You're worthy. Because of the Jesus on the inside of you. He's made you worthy. It's not based on your own works. It's not based upon your own beliefs. It's based upon Him and the goodness of His word. It's for you today. 100%. It's based on Jesus' finished work. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering and rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we have believed, for we who have believed do enter the rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
He's going back. Do you realize because of their lack of belief, their unbelief, the, the, the physical people, that generation that was brought out that should have celebrated the moment of coming out of Egypt and walking into the promised land. In that very moment from there to there, that was their promise. A short journey from point A to point B took 40 years and took their life. Because of their lack of unbelief. You get a choice. Here's where you're at. There's where God's promise is at. Now, you can walk in trusting Him. And He will carry you all the way to your promised land. Maybe that's your healing. Maybe that's your finances. Maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's your children. Maybe it's you praying for a spouse. (laughs) I was intentionally looking this way because I. (laughs) But you get a choice. He's brought you out of something. Everybody in here could tell me a story of what you've been brought out of. And you can say, thank God he brought me out, but he brought me here. I know you say there's a promise there, but I don't think that God really will do it for me. He's no respecter of persons. What he did for whatever preacher you watch on TV, whatever he did for whatever preacher that you listen to in your car, whatever he did for anybody else around you, he is willing and capable and ready to perform those things in you. In you. I I see him like like this. He's standing here and he's going, I've got all these gifts for you. I've got this, this for you, and you're right here, and I'm, I'm right here. I'm going, come on, we're going this way. Follow me, follow me this way. And we're standing here with our, with our hands in our pockets. I, I know you're here somewhere, I, I, but we're not looking. We're not looking. He's here. He's saying, follow me. I have something for you. I have Complete healing for you. I have restoration for you. I have your children coming home. I have a a spouse for you. I have all these things for you. But we got to stop pretending like he's not in the room. Because we feel unworthy. And he's not a God that's looking down at you going, you're unworthy. You need to stop. He already knows that in and of ourselves we're not worthy. But you know what he's looking through? The finished work of Jesus. He sees me through the blood of the Christ. He sees me through what Jesus' finished work was. And if that's not best enough, Jesus is there and constantly saying, that's that's one of us. I I, I died for him. I I died for Mallory. I I died for Orlando. I, I died for all these people. I did this for them. So you don't have to worry about operating in your own abundance of who you are. Simple obedience to following what Jesus says, to following his word, is all that you have to do. Because we know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know that. We can go back into look at scripture, and we can go back into 2 Kings chapter 6. And you can look at the story of the king of, of, of Syria, 
And, and he's trying to wage war against this nation. And he's trying to come against them. But every time he makes three steps this direction, all of a sudden that nation's right there in his face. Okay, I can't go this way. So he, he gets with his, his top people and they're like, okay, what do we do? And they're planning all this stuff. They're scheming all this stuff. They're going on and what's going on. And they decide to come this direction. And all of a sudden, they're there again. Why is this happening? To a point that he looks at his, his inner circle, his inner group of commanders and generals and leaders, and he says, which one of you is on the other side? There's a spy in the house. There's a spy in the house. And somehow, some way, they were able to legitimize what was going on and said, there's not us. There's somebody on the opposing team that's got a connection with God, that's seeing things and being able to say what we're saying in our inner circle. It's real. Whether you can see it or not, it's real. Elisha was real. What Elisha did was real. It was legitimate. But let's jump into verse 14. Therefore, this king sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And the servant answered again, Those who are with us, so he answered the servant, Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. Okay, you got you to hear something here. Okay, so you're in the city, you wake up, you throw your blinds open, and there's the opposing army that's encircled the city. And all you can see is this encircled army around the city. He's seeing with his eyes, his physical eyes, part of his, his five physical senses, he knows there's a problem in the house. We got an issue today. We got something that's going on. What are we going to do today? And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So you're telling me he just prayed for the eyes of the, the, the servant to be opened. So was he blind? There was an aspect of blindness. He could see clearly with these. But what Elisha prayed is I want him to see the unseen. I want him to see, to let faith rise up on the inside of him. And he saw an army that outweighed the army of the enemy. An army that was there and they were ready and they were on guard. But what I want you to see is Elisha never prayed, Lord, open our eyes. Elisha never prayed, Lord, I believe that you have an army there, but now open our eyes so that we can physically see it. Elisha didn't have to physically see the chariots of fire. He didn't have to see the army that was out there with his physical eyes. Why? Because he knew who his God was. He knew that God was going to take care of them. There was a spiritual assurance on the inside of him that said, God's got this. This morning when I was coming in to church, the road that we normally take is, uh, is blocked. They're, trying to, they're 
redoing a bridge that was supposed to take five days, and now we're like down to day 10, I don't know, you know, city work. And, and so I'm coming around the back way, and I, I was driving decent. And I'm not here to self-incriminate myself. But I knew there was an S-curve coming up. And very clearly, I, I can't even begin to say in the moment that I've ever heard it as clear as I heard it in that moment. We're dri- I'm driving, got the radio on. It's about 6.30 in the morning. The fog was pretty thick. And very clearly, I heard him say, slow down, there's a deer around the corner. I'm like, oh, whatever. I'll slow down now. But it was one of those I knew in that moment that it was like a punch in the gut. Oh, man, I've got to slow down. So I took the foot off the accelerator, came around that S-curve, and there was a deer that had just crossed the road and another deer behind it that had a limp. I would have, I would have plowed into him. Why am I telling you that? Because God, even in that, was taking care of me. I couldn't see it with my eyes, but I saw it with my spiritual eyes. I saw that deer around the corner that I even tried to say, that's just my vain imagination. But it was God showing me. Here's an opportunity to test and see that I'm God, that I am Lord of even the simple things. That deer was not real big. That deer would have maybe messed up my, my bumper or, or the grill. It wouldn't have totaled my car. But it was a matter of being in tune with the Father in that moment. How do I know that? I'm attaining it back to something that I had the lead team and myself go through this last week. A time that we took and we said, you know what? We're setting ourselves apart. And we're going to take a season and we're just going to focus on God. We're going to go through a fast. And really and truly, I think all of us can sit in a room and talk about what we experienced today in, 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 a, in a way that we've never experienced it before. Because I can't say that I honestly sat in a room with a group of individuals and said, we're going to have a fast together. And everybody, 100% in the room, in 100% agreement. It was extraordinary. But I'm leaning back to what I even heard God tell me. Why? Because all of a sudden, I took this last week, and I cleared the airways out. I cleared the airways out, and I could hear God clearly. Why do we doubt? We turn the TV on all the time, and we watch a TV signal come through our TV. Most of us now aren't connecting to to cable boxes that come underground, that come straight to our house. We're doing satellites, or we're doing uh, Apple TVs, and we're doing all these things. But you never doubt that when you turn the TV on, that there's going to be a signal there. You have no unbelief, unless you didn't pay the bill. Then you go, I hope. But most of the time, you don't doubt the fact that there's a signal going to come into that TV. You don't walk into the room and go, wow, I see CBS and there's TNT and I see all these signals in the room. You don't see them, but you know they're there because when you turn the TV on, there it is. How much more real is Jesus? He's in the room. He's living and abiding in you. He's, he's, he's no respecter of person. He wants to do for you what he did for others. But yet we believe the TV signal coming in more than we believe the real Jesus that's already in the room. 
Because there is another reality beyond our physical. There is the unseen. There is things that we've only dreamed or only imagined. Andrew Womack says it like this. Those who see faith as an attempt to make something real, which isn't real, will always struggle with those who see faith as simply making what is spiritual, spiritually true a physical truth. Okay, yeah, let's read it again. Those who see faith as an attempt to make something real, which isn't real, will always struggle with those. So you're, you're going to struggle. You're trying to make something up that you really don't believe is real. If you, if you try and, and make something up and you don't believe it, it's gonna be, there's going to be doubt. But they always struggle with those who see faith as simply making what is spiritually true a physical truth. What do you mean? Standing on God's word. Getting to a point in our life that we believe what God says versus what my eyes see. Believing that God's word says his will is to heal versus what my body is telling me. It's lining my spirit up with him that will then, when I line up with Jesus, takes my body and says, okay, body, now line up with this. It's a three-way split that we all come into alignment. It's something that we have to do. If you want to see healing in your life of whatever magnitude, you have to take your spirit and line it up with him. And when your spirit is lined up with Jesus and you finally begin to believe that the faith is real, that the unbelief is not who you are, that Jesus really does love you, then your body will step into alignment and your body will respond. Because it's true. And in closing, I want to read you this one out of Matthew 17. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to him, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. It's as simple as that. It's our unbelief. Why are we not seeing what what we want to see? Because our unbelief screams louder than anything else in our hearts. And then verse 21. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Side note, laughed about it last week. If you're in an NLT version and you're looking for verse 21 of this chapter, you'll never find it. It's not in the NLT. But what is real? What is true? That prayer and fasting are vital. They're vital to you. They're vital to your livelihood. They're vital to your spirit, man. Because what God wants to do is he wants to work out the impossible in your life. He wants you to know that you are adorned with the presence of God. That when Jesus is on the inside of you, that everything that you have on the inside of you is willing and able to do more than exceedingly what you expect. It's because of our unbelief. 
what people need to hear. And maybe you're in this room. And you've experienced healing in your life. People need to hear your story. What draws people in? It's hearing that other real people experiencing real pain have experienced a real Jesus. That's what they want to hear. They need your story. God wants to work through you as individuals. And if you're like me, and you're still standing in the middle, from where you started to the complete healing, I'm challenging you this morning, don't give up. Don't give up. What he's planned for you is bigger than you can imagine. And I'm telling you, if you will begin to dig, and here in a few, few weeks we're going to be offering God specifically. And my wife looked at me and said, when are you going to have time to do this? I said, I don't have a clue. I just know God said do it. We're going to be offering a life group on fasting. Because what we need is an experience with the risen Savior. We need clarity in our hearts and in our lives that we know that Jesus is real. So the next few weeks, there'll be some information coming out on what that looks like. But I want you to know something. Jesus loves you. That he has a plan to prosper you. In health, in your finances, in your spiritual walk. He's not brought you this far to leave you and abandon you. How do I know that? Because I'm standing in the middle. And I'm having to engage my faith. I'm having to get rid of my unbelief. And I'm having to look and say, God, because you're in me, you called me worthy. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. I don't know you, but I keep hearing God tell both of you very clearly that no matter what's gone on, He loves you. He's brought you down a path that's very clear, and he has the best for you. Every time I look back here, I keep hearing and seeing him telling you, your best is yet. Whatever's gone on, whatever's happening, his best is yet for you. So, Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you for your completed word. Lord, I thank you that what you're wanting to do on the inside of them what you're wanting to bring them out of is bigger than anything they can imagine. Now, Lord, I, I, I ask for mighty warring angels to be encamped around about them. I pray for anything that the enemy would try to bring to bring destruction into their lives. In the name of Jesus, we speak life. We speak health. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed.
there's a there's a there's a moment right here in this time in this in this season that we're in that Jesus is just simply asking you to make your petitions known. You stopped asking. You stopped asking for that healing. You stopped asking for that restoration. You stopped asking for your children to come home. You stopped asking for freedom from that addiction because you didn't see anything change. And very real and very specifically, he's saying, ask me again. Ask me again. But this time you're asking me knowing that the Jesus on the inside of me has made me worthy to ask. There's a very real moment here that, that's a healing moment. And if you've been here very long, I've not done this very much. So, so bear with me. Because what God's wanting to do is not just come to a Sunday morning service and go home the same way we came. He's wanting to radically change you. He's wanting to bring healing to your body. And it comes through a fact and through an absolute that says if you come boldly before me and believe in your heart. There's where the unbelief has to go away. We believe that when we ask, we receive and he responds because we've asked in Jesus' name. So here's a moment. If you're needing... If you're needing healing in your life, and I'm talking physical, I'm talking emotional, I'm talking spiritual, if you're needing healing, it comes through boldness. Everything within you right now is going to tell you, do not get up. Nothing ever changes. And it's not going to change unless you step out in faith and you, you dismiss the unbelief. If that's you this morning and you're saying, I need healing in my life. I need healing in my family's life. I need restoration. Come down to the front. We want to pray with you. That's you this morning and you're needing healing. You're standing in the gap for somebody else. If you're standing in the gap for your family, if you're standing in the gap for your friends, this is your moment. This is your time to step out of unbelief and to step into believing that what God's word is true and that what God's word has said is true. This is your moment. Lord, I thank you. God, I thank you that you're sealing your word. God, I thank you that your word is great. And your word is what was sent forth to accomplish. And your word is what will not return void. But it accomplishes what it was sent out to accomplish. And I thank you for unbelief to leave. And that childlike faith that believes that you're real that believes that what your authority said and that what you did is real. Today we honor you. And today we leave with an expectancy in our hearts because you've reminded us of our first love. Help us not wonder. Help us not move away, move aside. But Jesus, we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.